This is the Cherryleaf Podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest episode in the Cherryleaf Podcast. It's another walking podcast. Well, in fact, it's a promenading podcast because there's going to be a little bit about Bridgerton and a lot about Brexit and a little bit more about Cherry Leaf. We need to tidy up some loose ends about one of the early podcasts that we did about Brexit and what it might mean to Cherry Leaf and what we can offer. But given that's not the most exciting of topics, I thought I'd combine it with Bridgerton. If you haven't seen Bridgerton, it's a romantic drama on Netflix, very popular at the moment. A bit like Jane Austen, but a bit more spicy, I suppose you might say. It's set in Regency England, set around the 1800s, 1790s, I guess. And a lot of it was filmed in places near to where I live. Places like Hampton Court and St Mary's Church in Twickenham, Paynes Hill Park, Cyan House, Richmond Park, Windsor, Greenwich. And the place I'm in now, which is Sunbury Park and Wall Gardens, was used in Bridgerton to be Kensington Gardens. And as you might guess from the name, Sunbury Walled Gardens, it's in Sunbury. It's a garden, about two acres of garden, and there are walls that surround it. It's nice and sheltered. That's good for the plants, it helps them grow. And this was the place, as far as I could make out when I was watching the first few episodes of Bridgerton, where the Duke of Hastings saved Miss Daphne Bridgerton's reputation. I think there were some other scenes also filmed here as well. It's a pleasant, nice, very formal garden. This is a square, it's got paths around the outside and into the middle, and there are a whole series of rose beds. None of those are in bloom at the moment because of course it's winter. And there's some shrubbery with things like lavender and other plants. Trees, shrubs and climbers are on the ancient walls up to eight to 10 feet high in places. So on to the Brexit stuff. Well, on the 31st of December, 2019, the United Kingdom left the European Union and there was a one year's transition period and that ended on the 31st of December 2020. So from January 2021, it's full on Brexit. So we talked about this in one of the early episodes about what would this mean for Cherry Leaf. And now we know, or we're starting to know in more detail what it means for us and what it means for other technical writing companies, what it means for freelance technical authors who are British. It was all a bit last minute. We didn't know if there was a deal or not until the 24th of December 2020 and what that deal would be. What we did know was that the UK wasn't going to be in what's called the single market. It may be clear if you've ever seen my Twitter feed that I and the other directors at Cherry Leaf were not a fan of Brexit and we're still not a, a fan, tell you the truth. And when the referendum happened back in 2016, we started to make some preparations. We knew pretty early on that the choice had been made not to be in the single market. So we, we took some measures to mean that we could 
working the best way possible into the future. So let's go through those, what they mean for technical writing companies, what we're doing. So first off, in terms of selling services to countries in the U27, or the EU I guess is what we must call it now, we can still sell technical writing services. We did have concerns that we might have to charge companies VAT up front and then that they would claim that afterwards. But for businesses, that's not the case. It's still as before and our clients in the EU are continuing to use us. And that side of things, thank goodness, has been smooth and not with any particular issues. The other aspect of what we do is selling what's called digital products. We sell e-learning courses and there are others that sell things like e-books and the like. When you're in the EU, you have to charge a different rate of VAT for each country. So if somebody's buying your product and they're based in Germany, you charge the German VAT rate to your client. If they're based in Ireland, you charge the Irish rate. And then there was a thing called VATMOS where you'd report this to the tax authorities in the UK and they would sort out all the remittances back so you didn't have to deal with 27 or 28 tax authorities. That, unfortunately, has gone now. So if you're in a situation where you're selling digital products into the European Union, you need to not only register for VAT in the UK, you have to register for VAT in one of the EU countries like Ireland or Malta and do a quarterly return and use their VATMOTS system to get all the VAT allocated to the relevant tax authorities around there. What we've done is we moved a number of years ago uh, digital products and services, our e-learning courses, to a platform called Teachable, which is an American company, but actually sells EU-based customers from an Irish location. And that means that they have an Irish VAT number. They sort out all the VAT issues for business to consumers for those types of things, and we don't have to deal with it. So if you're in a situation where you are selling digital products, then you might need to look at getting somebody else to sell them for you an e-learning platform or the like, or, or Amazon, I guess, if it's digital e-books. Obviously, they'll get a cut from that, but it will take out some of the hassle. What about doing work in the EU? What about going to France or Germany and delivering a training course, or going there for six months for a contract and becoming a technical author with an organisation? What has happened to that? So the rule is, and I'll quote some stuff from the gov.uk website, is you can go to Europe for 90 days out of 180 days for tourist reasons, and you can go there and do stuff without getting paid. But apart from expenses, if you want to get paid for doing something over there, you need a business visa. Now, if you don't have that business visa, you're not legally able, as far as we can make out, to work in a country or deliver a training course in a classroom in one of the EU countries. Now, you are allowed to go to, say, France or Germany or Italy for business purposes where there's not money 
involved. So you can go there on a standard visa waiver without a visa for attending meetings or conferences or engaging in consultation with the business associates and also permitted research and design, marketing research, the receiving of training, attending trade fairs and exhibitions, sales trips, although short-term business visitors shall not engage in making direct sales to the general public, purchasing, after-sales service, commercial transactions, tourism and translation interpretation. We interrupt this podcast with an update. It turns out that it may be possible for some professionals to work for 90 days out of 120 visa-free in the European Union. There is Annex S-E-R-V-I-N-4 of the UK-EU agreement that lists a lot of contractual and independent professionals who are allowed in for 90 days. In that, is a section relating to computer and related services. But there are certain criteria and the criteria are different between different EU members. And there are criteria for what are called contractual service suppliers and for independent professionals. So what we'll do is we'll provide a link to the document and you can have a look at that and perhaps it's possible in certain criteria that if you're a technical author providing computer and related services that you can work for 90 days in some of the EU 27 countries. Anyway, back to the podcast. So what that means for us is that if somebody wants us to go on site to deliver a training course Now, really, the only way we can do that is if the trainer has an EU passport or if we deliver it remotely over something like Microsoft Teams or WebEx or Zoom, something like that. Oh, there's a grey squirrel standing in front of me, right in my pathway. And it's just hopping off now. Gave me a good old stare there. Now, what also we now have to face is that people, UK citizens, have to make, if they're for business, have to make a customs declaration if they bring in goods for sale or business use. Also, you may need a visa, work permit or other documentation if you're planning to stay for longer than 90 days in a 180-day period, or if you'll be doing any of the following, transferring from the UK branch of a company to a branch in a different country, even for a short period of time, carrying out contracts to provide a service to a client in another country in which your employer has no presence, providing services in another country as a self-employed person. So what about moving goods around? If you're taking goods to another country temporarily for business reasons and you think you'll be over the duty-free limit, you can get an ATA carne to avoid paying duty. This includes things like samples to show at trade fairs or sales meetings, publicity materials, recorded film and audio, equipment you need for work like laptops, cameras or sound equipment, goods for educational, scientific or cultural purposes, personal effects and sports goods. And the ATA carne usually costs £325.96 and you'll need to pay a security deposit and they are valid for one year. 
So the bottom line is, what is the duty-free limit? It varies by countries, but for Germany, it's 430 euros. And I think it's comparable for that for France. So this is one of those areas that we'll have to see how things go. But if you're taking in a laptop that's valued more than 430 euros, you might need to also pay out 325 pounds a year to get the ATA Carney. So speaking at conferences, well, as I mentioned, we can attend conferences without a visa and we can get expenses for travel, but we cannot get paid for speaking at conferences without a work visa. So in the centre of the garden are some knotted gardens, little dwarf shrubbery. I'll read from the uh, website that describes this wall garden. The knot garden is a style of gardening popular around the 15th and 16th centuries, with intricate interweaving of dwarf hedges and displays, which evidence Italian influences on English gardens at that time. In a similar manner, the French influences around the 17th century can be seen in the parterres, which are areas of geometrically designed flower beds enclosed by clipped dwarf hedges. Now, I was trying to spot in Bridgerton the scenes that were done here. And as I said, I think it was used where there was the scene for the punching, but there may have been some other scenes as well set here. It's a fairly low level garden, so pretty much any scene within a small garden was probably filmed here. And another aspect of what is now an issue for UK-based companies, or could be, is data storage. As part of the wider UK-EU trade and cooperation agreement, the free flow of personal data from the EEA, that's the European Economic Area, so that's the EU countries plus places like Norway and Iceland, the free flow of personal data to the UK will continue after the 1st of January 2021 for no longer than six months until adequacy decisions come into effect. So for six months, nothing changes. There's discussions going on and there may be changes as to, for personal data, what can be saved in the UK after that. So if that does happen, what will be required is for UK companies to have a representative in an EU country for EU personal data. And we've done that. We have an arrangement with Firehead in France. They are now our representatives. So if we are in a situation where we need to process or handle personal data for EU citizens, then we've got the representative in France, Firehead, that enables us to continue to do that. So another thing that we've done in the past is get involved with Erasmus projects. This is developing educational materials part of the Erasmus scheme. These are multinational projects. We've been involved with one under the Erasmus 2020 scheme, which was the MathSpeak project, where we were part of a team of organisations that developed teaching materials to teach maths to people who didn't have strong uh, language skills. The the UK is now out of Erasmus, so the next round of Erasmus projects and funding, unfortunately, we cannot get involved with. 
So that's the main impact in terms of Brexit and what happens. For stuff where we can do it from the UK, we can carry on doing that. I guess one of our concerns is a perception from mainland European countries that they see a company is based in the UK and they think, oh, it's too difficult to work with them. We'll, we'll go with somebody based in the Republic of Ireland or elsewhere and just deal with it that way. Hopefully we can see that in practical situations that shouldn't be an issue. It shouldn't be too difficult to work with. We're not selling goods where it is a lot more complex, the impact of Brexit in that way. If it does become a major issue, then we have a plan B, and that is to set up a sister company in Estonia. That's something we've talked about in the past, and that's still under consideration. Our preference is not to do that, because then we're paying the admin for two companies. But if needs be, where it's putting people off, then that is something that we'll look at. So that's it for this podcast, a shorter one than normal, partly due to the lockdown, I'm afraid. We still have to, I guess, see quite what the shakeout is and the impact will be of Brexit. We're doing our best to mitigate the situation. But in terms of technical writing and delivering of training, where it's delivered either by e-learning or over Zoom or over Microsoft Teams, it's no change. So thanks for listening. And if you do watch Bridgerton, have a look out for the scenes in the garden. That's probably scenes of where I am now. <laughs>